1: Well, let's give you some light. Not that you need to look at this. So I made a mistake, and I had to follow through on it. That's all I'm going to say. We'll just leave it at that. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Kenny Hsu, who is the author of An Inconvenient Minority, colon, The Attack on Asian American Excellence, and the Fight for Meritocracy. This book will be released in July, on the 13th of July in the year of 2021, year of our Lord. Kenny has been following very closely the Students for Fair Admission versus Harvard case, which is uh, kind of some people are suing Harvard because Harvard is discriminating based on race in order to create a balanced or diverse set of students in the student body. Kenny and I talk about that, but we also talk about meritocracy and we talk about the ways in which Asian Americans have, and especially Asian American immigrants, have come over to America and used a certain value set to establish great lives here. And Those values are hard work and meritocracy, and there's something going on within the elite and the progressive side of the discourse that is anti-meritocratic and what I think of as equitocratic or diversocratic. Kenny comes to this conversation incredibly prepared. This is very informative for me, and I know it will be for you, so I'm going to scurry away, get back to video editing, and allow you to listen in on myself and Kenny so your book's coming out in July and mm-hmm. it's already number one in Asian American history on Amazon.
0: Is that correct? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a number one new release for a while on Asian American history. It kind of fluctuates between number one bestseller and not depending on what publicity it gets. But I'm really trying to generate a lot of pre-orders for this book because Having high first week sales draws attention not only to your book, but to, you know, the larger cause that it represents. So I've been getting support for that. Um, And then, you know, your listeners can also help support the book by pre-ordering it as well.
1: Excellent. And why don't we dive into that larger cause and then get into the nitty gritty of your excellently constructed book. We already had a conversation about this, but the recording got uh, messed up and uh, now we're mm-hmm. going to redo it so thanks for returning
0: yeah no absolutely
1: so and the cause is
0: the greater cause let me put on my earphones real quick okay yeah i was gonna wonder okay.
1: Boom, 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 boom.
0: Okay, can you hear me all right? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear hear you great. There we go. All right, great.
1: Yes. Excellent. So what is this greater cause that your book is drawing attention to or that you're seeking to draw attention to through your book? Well, Well, my book,
0: An Inconvenient Minority the subtitle of the book is called The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. So the cause that I think is, needs to be examined in our, in our country, in our culture, that is not often examined, is this cause for meritocracy, right? It's the idea. It's actually a central fundamental American proposition, but not enough people acknowledge it. It's the idea that you can come from any background in the entire world and you can come here and you won't be treated on that background. You'll be treated on, hey, what can you contribute to this country? What can you contribute here? And Asian-Americans have taken that proposition and they've, they've run with it because they come from very poor backgrounds. Many Asian-Americans do. They're, they're political refugees uh, some are educated, some aren't. Some are some start off very poor in this country. I mean Vietnamese refugees, the v- Vietnamese Americans is are, it's a crazy example. Um 80% of them come to the US with no English experience. And in the process of one one generation, their kids are have educational. Bachelors and graduates degrees at a higher rate than white Americans And I mean that that runs with a lot of these Asian cultures Chinese Japanese Korean everything like that and it's actually independent of wealth Strangely enough, it's independent of inherited wealth because Asian Americans do not come to this country with a lot of inherited wealth and so Asian Americans prove at least that one concept in our American culture is still alive and well. And that is that America is still a country where you can achieve if you work hard. Um, and that's something that I'm interested in preserving with this book. Mm-hmm. So with the
1: undermining, I don't know if it's an attack directly or not, but I have seen direct attacks on meritocracy, but with the undermining or the ignoring or the downplaying of the value of meritocracy. What what happens to Asians specifically, I, I guess, as, as a class or the immigrant that comes here and starts working really hard? What happens when meritocracy becomes distrusted by the elite institutions? And
0: So America is largely meritocracy, I would say, but the exception is the American elite. You know, we used to have, America used to have a pretty meritocratic elite, right? I mean, you used to have, hey, you know, it's kind of a competition at the top and you know, immigrants can come in and win. I mean, Rockefeller, Carnegie. Carnegie was, a, I think, a Scottish immigrant, um, or the son of. Um, and But increasingly, the elite culture is becoming more entrenched. Um, and it's also becoming more hostile to meritocracy. There are more gatekeepers than ever. And gatekeepers are antithetical to meritocracy. Because if you think about it, uh, the market often decides who wins in a competition and people often decide. and having arbitrary gatekeepers who want you based on your political orientation or based on your racial orientation or want you because of gender or legacy or things like that is antithetical to meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what we see at Harvard. This is what we see in the Ivy Leagues. There's so many gatekeepers in these institutions now. Um and we see this increasingly in our elite financial institutions as well. I mean, the corporate recruiters who come for, are in, in, you know, disproportionately recruit from a small elite cadre of schools, you know, um, and it's more about the brand um, than it is about your actual skills and knowledge. And this is already impacting Asian Americans, as I've shown in my book. Because Harvard, with all of the gatekeepers that it has, and it has gatekeepers that want diversity and inclusion, diversity and inclusion means admitting people who are black and who are Hispanic, but not Asian. And in fact, Asians are penalized even more than whites in the admission process for these elite colleges. An Asian person is two thirds the chance of an Asian person at the top academic decile has a Lower chance than whites in the top academic decile and an Asian student has one-fourth the chance of admissions as a black student in the top academic decile um, Asian students have to score 440 points higher on the SAT out of a 1600 SAT. That's the equivalent of two grade levels higher than a black student to have the same chance of admission as a black student and All of this compounds to an effect where Asian-Americans are routinely denied admissions, even though they're more highly qualified than many of the applicants in these schools. Um, And so it is an undermining of meritocracy and Asian-Americans are likely to suffer. And it represents where our country will go and will treat Asian-Americans as the principle meritocracy continues to suffer. What do you mean by that? Where is it heading? Well, it's heading towards this. Well, it's not just at Harvard anymore. It's not just in the Ivy Leagues. They originated it. They started the discrimination against Asian-Americans. They think they're doing it for a moral purpose. But now it's leaking to everywhere else in our culture, too. And our elite public high schools our gifted and talented programs. their magnet schools. Thomas Jefferson High School in Arlington, Virginia, uh, had a 70 was it was the top science and math high school in the nation. It also had 70 percent Asian-Americans in the high school. Um then a group. Then they had Ibram Kendi come speak, um, author of How to Be Anti-Racist. Uh, after George Floyd, he came and spoke, uh, riled up the administration, and they passed a new proposal that says we're only we're not going to admit based on grades and test scores anymore. We're going to admit based on a lottery, <laughs> expressly for the purposes of diversity. And okay, they're going to lower the number of Asians and they're going to raise the number of uh blacks and Hispanics, but really, they're going to raise the number of whites is actually the is actually is actually the net effect of that, interestingly enough. Hmm. Um, but the greater effect is that Thomas Jefferson High School is going to lose its reputation for being the number one high school in the nation. I mean, part of the reason why it is the number one high school in the nation and it's able to foster the extremely accelerated curriculum that it has is because it can it knows that it's all of its students are prepared for it. And now it does not have that luxury. I mean, so that's what you lose, you know, Um, when you try to use policies of diversity and inclusion that put in less qualified people over more qualified people because of racial situations.
1: Okay, here's a kind of more of a principle question, a question about principles. Who do you think buys into meritocracy? Or who, is, who benefits from that? You mentioned the elite. Why do the elite use meritocracy? And who else besides the elite buy into it or are
0: persuaded by it? Have you thought? I think about most, that? I think most Americans are persuaded by meritocracy. I mean, I you mean, ask I mean
1: anti, anti-meritocracy or, or the- uh, oh, oh, who I'm are against meritocracy. Yeah, who are against it. Like th- this, uh, this oh. ideology that, that downplays meritocracy or that is against meritocracy. You said that the elite are using it. Mm. Why? And then also, who else outside of the elite buys into this non-meritocratic or uh, merit, merit, gamed meritocratic, uh, diversocratic, or equitocratic
0: system. <laughs> equitocratic. Yeah. Um, what? Well, even before going into that, I mean, I think, I think it is wise to point out that the majority of Americans are pro meritocracy. um Seventy-five percent of Americans, according to a 2019 poll, including a majority of conservatives, moderates, and liberals, believe that race should not be a factor in college admissions. Um, 2019 poll, Pew Research. Um, In California, the most liberal state in the nation, um, the legislature tried to ram through a proposal that would repeal Proposition 209, which said the state should not discriminate on the basis of race and ethnicity for any reason, even for the purposes of diversity. And the people rejected it in a ballot measure, 57% to 43%, preserving that principle. The The majority of Americans are for. Merit-based principles for hiring and promotion. The reason being is because We believe that we deserve our success. I mean you, we believe that we earn You know that that we have the right to earn Something and we know that there are lazy people out there. You shouldn't reward lazy people It's not morally justified to reward lazy people. It's bad for our country and it's bad for those people Right because if you if you want to find great meaning in life, you, you have to start off with responsibility so there is um. That's 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 a very common wise principle that's prominent in Asian and Western cultures, uh, p- particularly Asian cultures. Now, um, uh, now who's against this? Who who is against this? So, the people who are mainly against the principle of meritocracy are people who believe that meritocracy is racist, or some other version of privileging or elitist or something like that because these are people who who resent the elite without understanding the principles for how the elite got to where it got to um so one common contention um among people who who do not like meritocracy who are the people who like i would say people in higher education especially elite higher education like harvard does not like meritocracy um the philosophy professor at Harvard, Michael Sandel, a prominent philosopher today, author of Justice – or sorry, not author of Justice. That was John Rawls. Um, he authored a book called The Tyranny of Merit um, where he basically says meritocracy is bad. No one should follow it. Um, and he oh, wants to replace so hold it. Hold
1: on. So he doesn't make the argument that it's imperfect or that it doesn't actually exist. He says that it's – Actually bad meritocracy is
0: actually some sort of meritocracy is actually bad the reason his his argument is that uh, In in his book the tyranny of merit his argument is that meritocracy creates it, it creates the people who are Rich have the ability to afford more ways for their kids to become also Rich and successful
1: Yeah
0: um, Which It's interesting It's an interesting argument And we can break it down more But I, I just want to go through the list People like Michael Sandel don't like it um, Prominent Harvard philosopher John Rawls ha- has States his, his first position in a theory of justice Is against merit um, Basically he believes that Everybody who has been given something Gets it from luck so if you win a 100-meter race, the, meta, the metaphysical statement about that is you didn't deserve winning that 100-meter race. Maybe you were blessed with good genes or good parenting or good coaching, but you didn't deserve winning that 100-meter race. That's not up to you. Um, that is a result of luck. That is a function of luck. Um, and then – so these are people who philosophically object to merit. But then there are people who f- politically object to merit – um who who think it is actually a racist instrument nicole hannah jones uh from the new york times believes that we should and we should eliminate all gifted and talented programs the reason why we should eliminate all gifted and talented programs is because it, it it propagates this false idea that there are more academically talented or advanced students than others um, and he thinks she thinks that that's bad from an equity perspective in the sense that if we prop people up who are higher, then we're going to ignore the people who are lower. And she says that that's racist because the people who are lower are predominantly black and Hispanic kids who are not being evaluated according to standards, uh, who are who are not being evaluated according to what they they're worth or deserve. So I would say that those are two principal camps of people who are against meritocracy.
1: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned an argument about uh this cumulative effect or this exponential effect of meritocracy if there's basically if if we start from zero if we just do this thought experiment we start from zero everybody has the same everybody has the same resources by the Mm -hmm. end of the first generation that equality is already gone by the end of the second generation that equality is even more uh unevenly distributed. So how Mm. would you fix that other than constantly resetting things to zero? But you would have to do it. Would you reset it to zero within a month? Would you reset it to zero every 20 years, every 50 years? You reset everybody to zero. You forgive all the debts. In order to create equity, uh, equity can't be stabilized unless you enforce it constantly because people are always Mm going to be maximizing Uh,
0: their resources or, you know, some people are going to be maximizing their resources. Yeah. Even if, even if everybody started off on the same playing field, it is inevitable that some people will get ahead and some people will fall behind. That's just the case. Well, yeah,
1: and but then the, the if you run that simulation over and over and over again, eventually you have yeah. a very high and a very low distribution. So there has to be some sort of redistribution so that the people who are born into poverty have a leg up to some degree, right? Or else you're just going to have this in, mm-hmm. uh, infinitely uh, – you know, d- unfair Mm -hmm. distribution where you have like the super super one percent and then a bunch Mm -hmm. of people below them so there is some idea about redistribution that spreads the wealth around through i guess taxes or through charities um or something like that um but i guess the argument would be whether it's voluntary or not or teaching people having a culture of charity would be one way of doing that. Or you have a government that enforces or some other sort of institution that eradicates uh, disparity completely because it distrusts any un- inequality whatsoever.
0: Yeah. So okay. you know what the, um, so so the argument is a T0, if everybody's equal, a T1, there will some be some people who are Higher and then some people are lower and then then t2 you run that simulation again Those people who are higher some will go even higher and some will go even lower Um, The solution the solution to that uh, There's there's a couple assumptions with that game Um, But but the solution to that is is actually meritocracy because what happens is because what happens um, is the reason why people with privilege continue to continue to progress or can, sorry, continue to get even richer uh, multi-generationally is usually as a result of things that are not meritocratic, not things that are meritocratic. For example, rent seeking. Rent seeking is a non-meritocratic principle. It's basically by virtue of you owning this you um you you deserve to extract rent from anybody who uses it um and you know over a long period of time uh we see that that is actually that enables people to keep wealth even when they didn't work for it or didn't deserve it in europe this is very much the case the richest 300 families in europe i think half of them also or many of them a significant majority of them uh were also the richest families 500 years ago, mm-hmm. um, and in America it's different because the richest families in America today, you know, uh, just even two or three generations ago, were no were nobodies at all, or they were immigrants. You know, uh, Rockefeller yeah. came from nothing, Carnegie came from nothing. You know, Bill Gates came from a middle upper middle class family. Um, but in America, we seem to have this principle that that rails against this um which is uh a largely meritocratic principle, which is the American dream, which is hey, you know if you you can come here and you can make it in this country um and that is i think that's a that's a beautiful thing that we need to preserve and cherish
1: hmm. so Speaking of your book, The Inconvenient Minority. Is it mm-hmm. just about merit is that like the the backbone of it is about merit meritocracy?
0: And then how do you break that down uh, mm-hmm. or are well, there start is that off, just one? <laughs> I start off with a pretty blistering attack on or I start off with a pretty blistering statement about American culture today. And mm-hmm. um uh, my first chapter is entitled "A Broken Meritocracy," um, and basically, it's about how far America has deviated. Um, how far America's elite, in fact, is deviated from the principles of meritocracy that need to be that need to be addressed again. And then I talk specifically about Harvard, because Harvard University is the um, so Harvard University is the epitome of what is going on it is the the example this is why there's so much national attention onto this harvard discrimination admissions case against asian americans because it, in a way it is kind of the epitome of what diversity ideology of of the of it is the it is the meeting point it is the sorry it is the apex point of the meeting place between diversity ideology and meritocracy because Harvard cannot admit more diverse applicants unless uh, – um, Harvard actually cannot admit more d- diverse applicants unless it admits people who are less qualified. Um, it's basically if you want racial more racial diversity, you have to sacrifice some marginal factor of meritocracy. And the meritocracy is as, – as I've said before, Asian-Americans are considered a meritocratic minority. Um, this is why Harvard's discriminating against Asian-Americans um, in many senses. They don't like Asian-Americans, but also they, they, they have to if they want to make room for their preferred minorities. Um, so I talk in depth about this case, and I talk in depth about with the larger implications of this case. If Harvard continues to be allowed to get away with this, imagine the Supreme Court, which is actually taking up this case this year. Oh. Says, yeah. Imagine if the Supreme Court says um, that Harvard is allowed to continue to do this, and what that would say about our culture. Then the Supreme Court will, is basically going is basically making an argument that meritocracy is superseded by racial diversity, and I think that that has severe implications for our culture.
1: Hmm. You said that Harvard doesn't like Asians. What? Do you- what do you mean by that? Is it just because they uh, fly in the face of some value,
0: or they they're too good? Or that's a Harvard doesn't statement. like. Could you
1: that a bit?
0: <laughs> Harvard doesn't like Asians in the same way that it, Harvard doesn't like didn't like Jews back in the nineteen twenties. Um, Harvard limited the number of Jewish Americans that attended its university um, uh, eighty ninety years ago um, until. They were forced to adopt certain reforms Um, And the president thought that Jews were of ill character Were not reformed well enough or assimilated well enough into civilization um, To be let in for a university, but Jews were very smart at the time um, Performed very well uh, Performed were academically excellent. I think at one point made up, you know, over 20% of Harvard's student body and the president said, "Enough. We don't. We we can't have enough. We can't have too many more of these people, um, because he thought it would sort of corrupt the character of the university." And I think Harvard is Harvard's. That Harvard has an, had an exclusive mentality. Then they have this idea of character and fitness that the Jews didn't fit at that point. Hmm. And today they have the same ideas of character and fitness that Asian Americans don't fit. Harvard says you can. Asian-Americans are fine at this college up to a certain amount. We don't want them to take over our college. It's the idea of taking over a university. Harvard does not want more than 20% Asian-Americans in their college. For the past 25 years, Harvard University has allowed 20% or fewer Asian-Americans in their university despite the fact – harvard's own internal bureau of research suggested that if merit-based admissions were the sole principle asian americans would make it 43 percent of admissions 43 percent admissions um and then you know you, okay and then you ask the question oh well would you want to be in a university with 43 percent asians and then you know I, then i casually just remind people hey you know Harvard historically was a university with 80% whites, (laughs) you know, or Harvard was, you know, um, Hmm. and then I, are we, do we have a problem with that? Um, or, you know, or his, and people didn't complain then. Um, and then also Harvard now is a university that I think that has a high disproportionate number of Jewish people. Are, are we, are we not okay with that? You know, um, you know, at some point, meritocracy is something that you have to stand up for. Um, and so this book is talking about things like that. So
1: just to try to attempt to steel on the argument, and I'm not one that is going to be able to do the best job of this, but sure. just a couple of pushbacks. What if there is a cultural component that, like, character and f- fitness, right? What if... Mm-hmm. Largely speaking, this is not my argument, and this is this is borderline racist, but this is kind of what they're doing. So I'm trying to trying to understand yeah. what they're doing. It probably is actually racist, but who knows what that word means anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What if there are other vectors of achievement that they want to Collate together into a Harvard University experience. And what if diversity of culture, diversity of other skill sets other than can be tested and quantified through various different metrics like grades and test scores? What if there are other attributes of individuals that if they can bring together this diverse set of individuals, young people, they will actually on kind of on a uh, on a cultural level get a really good experience of difference and uh, different, you know, just different cultures. And then also, if you bring up, uh, let's just say, underserved groups and you kind of give them a lift, uh, you you make it easier for them to get in, you're also kind of feeding the Harvard elitism or you might be able to stir up and bring up other communities too, like down the line, you'll have... More black lawyers, more Latino uh, doctors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. could it be the case that there are other things than test scores, and that can be proven quantifiably as meritocratic, that can be uh, that can be balanced with meritocracy or meritocratic principles in order to create something on a larger level, even if it means that. It's denying people based purely on merit.
0: So the first thing that I want to address about that argument is that it represents it. You actually represent Harvard's mentality pretty well. You represent how Harvard feels about this. Harvard would say, well, um, you know, there, we want a diverse class because a diverse class helps people. One, that's what they would say, and then two, racially diverse, specifically racially diverse. It's very important to say that. And then two, you are relying upon the argument that Harvard feels like by admitting more people from underrepresented communities, they would in turn produce um, act produce elites in those communities. So I'm going to address the first one first and then the second one. The first argument is that Harvard thinks that there is uh, – that that racial diversity or diversity of experience can provide for a greater, more gratifying effect in the student body. Um, this is potentially the case. I'm not saying it is the case because the research on the benefits of diversity is actually very muddled. Um, there are benefits to diversity, and then there are drawbacks to diversity. Okay? One of the benefits to diversity when instituted properly is that it can help people, you know it can bring different ideas to the table and then maybe create greater things. But if diversity, if diversity is brought in, but one of the people in that diverse class is greatly less experienced um, and looked down upon by the rest of the group, um, then diverse then the benefits of diversity are often cancelled um, Because and it's actually stereotypes are reinforced um, and and so you have to be careful when thinking about diversity because um, You know diversity is is works best when everybody's on an equal playing field and then the issue now now becomes well, actually, Harvard is not putting everyone on equal playing field. They're actually admitting people who are vastly less qualified uh, into the same student bodies, people who are more qualified in the name of diversity. Um, and then also to that point, uh, racial diversity is not the only diversity that's there. And it is a stereotype to suggest that all Asian-Americans are faceless math, math robots, you know. And, of course, I think that's, the, that's what's implied in that statement. I'm not saying you're implying it but definitely Harvard admissions officers think of it this way. Um, there, well, was, there have been several just some, sources. Some sort of
1: homogenousness about the Asian class yeah. that they don't want to get out of hand.
0: Some sort of homogeneity yeah on Well, any I, I, there, I talk about... Yeah, in my book I talk about some of the people who were rejected from Harvard, or actually one guy posed as a white student, um, and this was during the Harvard admissions case, and he... Um, and he uh, um, was just chatting with the admissions counselor offer, officer at Harvard, and he asked him about the Harvard discrimination case. The admission officer said, "Oh, well, what these Asians, what these people need to realize is that these Asians, you know, are just lower personality people." Um, so, I mean, it's 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 cultural at Harvard. It's it's very culturally embedded. This this idea that Asians are. Uh, homogenous robots, even though Do you
1: know what personality is meaning in that statement?
0: Yeah, so Harvard evaluates people people on three metrics academics, extracurriculars, and personality. Academics, Asian Americans perform better than whites, but perform better than every other group. Extracurriculars Asian Americans perform better than whites better than every other group. This is all based on public uh, data gathered from the admissions case that anybody could easily look up. Um, and then personality scores, funny enough, Asians are scored just as high as whites in alumni recommendations. They score almost as high as whites in teacher recommendations, but they score higher than blacks and Hispanics in teacher recommendations. Um, um the objective measurements, Asians are doing just fine in so-called measurements of personality, which are measurements of likability, humor, leadership, charisma, everything like that. But then in the overall personality rating, So odd. Asian Americans are scored the lowest out of all of the races, including blacks and Hispanics. And that's actually
1: some magical thing happens where the personality just kind of evaporates.
0: Just just dissipates. Yeah. (laughs) Goodness. (laughs) It just dissipates somewhere in between the application process and the final review process. The Asian personality just dissipates into the either. So that's a
1: bias, then. It's biased. According to whoever's doing these reviews then
0: Yeah, I mean whoever's doing the reviews Hmm. Is showing some kind of strong bias against these Asian Americans in their application process Um, and We're not sure it could be that they act they they genuinely Think Asian Americans are this way because of a stereotype or it could be that they're just using the personality scores a proxy for race Um, and Either way, it's pretty cynical and it's pretty bad That's insulting. It's incredibly insulting. Yeah, this is why so many Asian Americans have gotten really fired up over this case, because it basically feeds into everything that every stereotype that they've heard it used against them, you know, for a very long time. You know, we're supposed to be a country that's progressing against that, but Harvard is reinforcing it in the elite.
1: You know, but they will trot out hashtag stop Asian hate when it suits them. Maybe I mean, I'm kind of oh, straw manning okay. here, but there's just something disgusting <laughs> about uh, the the slander that I see in progressive circles. And by progressive circles, I mean, specifically academic programs that, you know, argue that Asians are white adjacent or complicit in white supremacy and they'll be very yeah. derogatory towards Asians. But then when something happens that can be racially motivated towards a Black Lives Matter uh, kind of, uh, you know, cookie cutter protesty thing, then they'll then they'll let the Asians back in. When the Asians are the yeah. victims. But when Asians are the victors, then they're on the bad side of the line. It just I don't know how you would square that as a community. And I know the Asian community, Asian American Asian American community is incredibly diverse. So it's even it's even wrong to even think of them as a community, but how that community over time, if this continues, won't become more and more resentful towards whoever's promulgating that which would be the democratic party progressive circles and then these elite institutions
0: well i mean asians and this is why my book is called an inconvenient minority because asians are only used in this progressive narrative when it's convenient i mean they're used conveniently they when it when it comes to stop asian hate asians are victims Uh, Of course, um, victims specifically of white supremacy forget and ignore the fact that 28 percent of Asians who faced uh, anti-Asian crimes were targets by black Americans. And then 25 percent of them were targeted by white Americans. So they're actually targets of crimes higher at a higher rate by black Americans than by white Americans. But, of course, it's a function of white supremacy. But – Okay, so they're victims when it's convenient for them in that case. But in the case of education, they're overworking, they're overachieving, test-taking robots who are white-adjacent, right? They're on the side, they're siding, they're trying to put Asians into a box with the oppressor at that point, which is whites. Um, So this is why Asians inconvenience the narrative, um, Mm -hmm. because they... Have been because there's actually truth in both claims. Ac- interestingly enough, because Asian Americans have been victims of discrimination in the United States. I mean, Chinese exclusion, Japanese internment, everything that went on there, um, hugely detrimental to the age to the Chinese American um, groups here. Um, but hmm. um, yet they have achieved in our country. They have a higher graduation rate they have higher educational attainment they have higher household income than even whites and what that does is it puts a it puts a big um it puts a big um hole in the left's narrative that your race is what determines your ability to achieve in this country because asian americans are a racial minority who have been discriminated and yet they still achieve Yeah.
1: Okay. So if we turn, well, if we view the Asian American history as a story, it's a success story, despite the uh, discrimination, uh, harsh, you know, on a scale of like mild to very harsh being interned, they bounce back As, as a community. They bounce back. Why did they bounce back? What was what decision did they make as a, as a community in order to go past those discriminations? And could that be used as a model uh, for, for achievement or for, you know, for individuals getting through some sort of traumatic experience? Well, nobody makes decisions.
0: Well, unless I know it's very low resolution. It's pretty loose. It's pretty loose. You're right. I know there, everybody makes individual decisions, but they're affected by their culture. Uh, And so you have to talk about, the study habits of asian americans statistically this is just true asian americans study twice as hard as the average american twice as many hours as the average american per week according to various surveys many surveys um and asian americans have lower rates of crime they have higher rates of familial stability higher rates of marriage uh, lower drug use um and i mean in some sense, Asian-Americans prove the rule. The rule in America is that if you get a full-time job and you graduate from high school and you don't have kids before you get married, you're usually going to be fine. And like 90, 97% of millennials who, who achieve in that sequence are not poor. And Asian-Americans disproportionately achieve in that sequence – so there's nothing, there's nothing exotic about Asian Americans that like we should be like oh wow what's what kind of Chinese Confucian Voodoo are they practicing over there or something like that? Okay, it's I did not mean just, to
1: imply that. Just to say,
0: oh no 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 you don't. Okay, I didn't I did not think you're implying. I was actually I was just making a joke. Okay, nothing <laughs> um, <laughs> right. like that. Yeah, you know, I, it's basically I'm saying it's nothing exotic, yeah. that. Well, it's anti-exotic. It's it's bourgeois values. It's like just straight up just bourgeois values.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I, I was just thinking in terms of racial resentment and the ways in which the activist class within the I really dislike this, so I apologize to everybody for for thinking about this, but the way in which Black Lives Matter, let's just say, and Black Lives Mm Matter-themed activism operates up to and including Ibram Kendi and Robin DiAngelo is that it smolders resentment. And it it looks back to the past as one of disparity. It's always looking back and it's always framing everything in terms of victimhood and oppressorhood. And I just wonder if... There's something that is nonproductive about that or counter to the values that Asian Americans as a community, broadly speaking, adopted, where they didn't have, what did they do with all the pain that they inherited by being interred, by being excluded? Do they just say this doesn't matter? This doesn't help? Why, why have they not used that as a tool of getting ahead,
0: of, of seeking reparation in some way? Okay, so this is where it gets a little more nuanced. So Japanese-Americans did receive reparations, actually, uh, from the Reagan administration um, oh, in the okay. 80s. Yeah. Um, they received a one-time payment of $38,000, I think, or $33,000 per household. Um, and you have to trace your lineage back to internment, um, which was easier then. Slavery is harder. Yeah. Um, okay. It's... It's hard because of, of many many conflicting comparative factors um, but but that that's only Japanese Americans though Chinese Americans never got any reparation for the fact that they were excluded and discriminated against and everything like that so mm-hmm. there there it's it's still it's a complex, very nuanced story here yeah. Um, Japanese Americans were doing well, even before reparation, even before they got reparation. So it's not like the reparation caused them to do well. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dynamics here at play. Um, but I, I think in terms of your question asking, um, why haven't Asian Americans latched on to the same kind of resentment dealing, um, in a way, uh, they've been they haven't gotten into politics. They just are not involved in political circles as much as black Americans are. Hmm. Um that's just that is just the case. I mean, Asian Americans are vastly underrepresented in u s. politics. They also vote traditionally vote at lower rates, especially first gen than other Americans um they're just not really part of our political system this is why our political system on both sides has kind of ignored asian americans for a long time now for a while that was fine I mean, now for a while that was fine because it was like okay just get along with your lives don't worry about politics just believe in the, the american system meritocracy and you'll do fine and they have done fine they have done well but they asian americans need to wake up and they, they need to realize bec- that the tides are changing these days if you don't if you If you don't pay attention to politics at all and you don't see where this country's going you you need to realize that you're next on the chopping block. Asian Americans are next on the chopping block because the principle of meritocracy is being destroyed in by our very eyes by these Ivy League institutions, by Black Lives Matter and other woke activists uh, who by diversity and inclusion um, by the progressive movement and Asian Americans who do not realize this and do not recognize this do not wake up and start getting involved more in politics will find their own futures and their sons and their kids futures jeopardized
1: okay here's here's a question to try to expand this a little bit why not yeah. build another Harvard? And, and I'm not talking specifically to Asians themselves, but just to everybody who's upset with these institutions, uh, these legacy institutions. Why not build our own? Because what, what's missing? If if Harvard just says go away, we don't want you. Why not? Are you going to stop being smart? All you're going to lose out is that that the H letter on your you know diploma somewhere.
0: I would be totally, uh, you know, I would be more okay if Harvard just came out and said, go away, Asians, we don't want you. Honestly, I would. Because mm-hmm. at least we would know, or, or at least we'd be like, at least Asian parents and our culture would, will realize, hey, you know, Harvard actually does not really care about meritocracy, does not care about Asian Americans, we can move on. The issue is that Harvard is trying to lie to the public. They're actually just trying to say, oh, we care about everybody. We want diversity and inclusion. We want all of these kinds of things. And they're trying to straddle the line saying we're also the most prestigious university in the world. And they're getting away with it in the sense that it's benefiting them. They have a $40 billion endowment. That endowment could pay for scholarships for a thousand times the number of students that Harvard does. Does Harvard offer a thousand times the education that – any that uh, that another sim that another university could offer or that your state university could offer? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It offers a slightly better education, maybe, but it does not offer a thousand times the education mm-hmm. that 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 its reputation precedes them. So, Harvard is is so the reason why you know we have to talk about Harvard and stuff like that is because people. Are not waking up to that reality, you know that that when we give all of this money to Harvard, and by the way, the federal government gives five hundred a mil five hundred million a year to Harvard University, um, but when we if we don't wake up to this reality about what Harvard is doing, then basically the it it corrupt university with a corrupt admissions process is just going to get more money, and it's not going to be able to accurate accurately carry the responsibility that we've bestowed upon it
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: we have already made universities that are i guess that are similar to harvard they're similar to harvard's mission from a research standpoint caltech is a really great university uh, california institute for technology has a extremely low admissions rate uh one of the best in terms of science technology in the world and it does not discriminate against asians asians make up about 40 percent of the student body there Um, and Caltech, by the way, unsurprisingly is now number five in the world in terms of research papers produced, uh, with a student body that is a sixth of the size of MIT and an endowment that is a 10th of the size of MIT. So yeah, does meritocracy work? Yep. You bet it does. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. So these are your arguments. These are your criticisms. What is your suggestion towards correction? Or what's the hopeful thing? Or what's the uh, what is your desired result? Waking people up, uh, restating the value of meritocracy, but is there a project there? Something that you want people to understand beyond those?
0: I think with my book, "An Inconvenient Minority," what I really want people to understand is honestly how is it is is, is how achievable the promises of the American dream are if you just work hard and don't think constantly about the the issues around or the the Hmm the, the right skin color that you have or the right facial tone or whatever. Um, I was a pretty, I would say conflicted child, racially speaking. Um, I thought a lot in high school about how my race would affect everything from my dating prospects to my chances of getting into good colleges. Um, and at least in the latter, that was definitely true <laughs> um, but uh, hmm. you know but the thing is, one of the things I wanted to to get to people with an inconvenient minority is that these Asian Americans who came here with basically nothing, just put in some right habits and just grinded i mean. There in Chinatown in New York City, there's this group of Chinese parents who, you know, the highest rate of poverty in New York City for for racial groups is not blacks. It's actually Asians. Asians in New York City have the highest rate of poverty. And yet Asians also make 80 or 70 percent of Stuyvesant High School the most prestigious high school in New York City and admissions to Stuyvesant High School solely based on performance on a test. So it it just shows that you can transcend your background, you can transcend your circumstances, and I want people to realize that and recognize that, and make reforms based on that. You know, have hold everybody to the same standard, and if you can't meet the standard, we should have programs that will help you to meet the standard. But we should never lower the standard. Hmm. Mm-hmm. We should never lower the standard, um, and that that's that's. That's what I believe that the promise of America really can be. Yeah, I was
1: thinking when you're talking about Harvard,
0: if they really,
1: really want to make a difference in these different communities that they want to produce elites out of, they would do some sort of targeted program at early childhood education level and Mm -hmm. select go into different communities that they want to lift up and then bring into Harvard they would supplement the education way down the line and actually bring up that those people all the way up instead of Mm -hmm. well they're cheating in a way that they're you know, the goal is like 18 is where they start, 18-year-olds or 19-year-olds yeah. where, where they're, they're selecting from that. But that's already too late. There's already too much diversity mm-hmm. of outcomes there. Uh, mm-hmm. So they they ignore that or they futz with the data to, to make this diverse class. And then what they end up doing is uh, there's a bunch of problems in there. Are you a diversity hire and the, a lot of probably, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Um imposter syndrome uh, for yeah. the for the minorities that, that are let in. Uh, but then the output of that won't necessarily be, if everybody's starting different at 18, they're all going to be ending different at 21, 22. You can't do a lot of difference in those four years. So what Harvard is going to be producing is a less, uh, is, is a kind of devalued product. On the outside of Harvard, when when they get out in there, they'll, they'll still have that reputation of going to Harvard. But over time, that's going to be degraded if Harvard doesn't pay attention to uh, standards or lowers standards uh, at, at the age of 18. So it's just, it just it seems like they're inconveniencing the Asian community. Because they don't want to deal with the inconvenience of actually fix- fixing a very a much greater problem, which would be early childhood education and onward, or even even home life and onward, to instill yeah. just very specific values into people to yeah. be able to achieve. And
0: it goes back to the point that I wanted to make a little while ago, which is Harvard has a cosmic arrogance syndrome. Uh, <laughs> it believes that it, it believes that it can cosmically erase 18 years of a person's life um Hmm. and and it can rectify because harvard sincerely believes that it is a place where the next generation of global elites will go to uh in the ivy leagues they all believe the same thing and it's and and they 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 say well look at our global elites you know um we want a diverse range of global elites so we should create the next generation of global elites you know and everything like that and so they that's why they in a sense they they believe that the harvard experience could atone for all of for for a person's lived experience prior to harvard and that's just not true
1: Hmm.
0: uh it's just it's just not true people bring 18 year old kids are going to bring their burdens and everything like that to to their college campus and to their student body, and if they're not adequately prepared for that kind of life, they have a high likelihood of floundering. Um, uh, Many, our City Akino 2012 research paper, not 2012, just recently a research paper, um, showed that um, black Americans who got into, chose STEM majors, When they were less, when they who were admitted into STEM programs that they were not qualified for, had higher rates of dropping out of those STEM programs and choosing a different major. And this is all very sad because if they were matched with a STEM major that they could and were encouraged to pursue at a level that they were proficient at pursuing, which by the way there are many universities in America that can help with that, they would probably have a better rate of graduating and eventually achieving whatever dream they wanted to achieve. Um, and this is why HBCUs, uh, graduate higher rates of physicians, doctors, and engineers among black Americans than places like Harvard and Yale and Princeton, hmm. um, because they actually know what's those experiences and things like that. And these universities don't.
1: Yeah. There, it seems like the problem with diversity, equity, and inclusion is that it's hand fisted. It's. Hamstrung by its moral authority or its righteousness into thinking it's correct and already on the right side of history, but it's very hamfisted in what it's actually doing. It, it just it just seems like it's this culture, equity, diversity, inclusion, culture within the elite institutions has fostered just really bad, really bad discipline or a lack of discipline and thinking of consequences of really doing the numbers it seems like they're constantly intoxicated by their, by some sort of moral impetus rather than actually reasoning through how these things actually play out. It just, it seems like they fail because <laughs> not because diversity and inclusion themselves are bad concepts, but because the implementation is just very poorly done.
0: I hate to, I hate, that the that the word that we have to use is moral impetus because i don't even think that people want diversity i think i think people who i think people who are uneducated on this issue um believe that it is that diversity and inclusion is a moral issue but i think the people who are actually out there implementing diversity and inclusion they have a lot more they're they're more cynical motives at hand um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is founded upon the idea that 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 white supremacy is responsible for disparate outcomes in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's founded upon the idea of 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 erasing white supremacy, and if well, Asians, yeah, go ahead, and success, success
1: somehow success is a marker of sin on some level. If you are successful, there's Mm -hmm. something wrong with the system. It's not, it's not enough to say that people don't get ahead. It it fosters resentment towards anybody who does. It's that Harrison Mm -hmm. Bergeron that Vonnegut. Yeah, it's Vonnegut essay about having to weight everybody down that's strong and make everybody who's beautiful, ugly, because it's more about the resentment of the beautiful and the good and the true and the, and the, the successful than it is about the lifting up of the the um, under or underserved. It just seems like mm-hmm. that is is a tent. And then they use, in my opinion, they use white supremacy as a guise for despising of success because, right, because Eventually, they target everything that's successful.
0: Right, because that their definition of white supremacy is actually targeting Asian Americans. I mean, it's just crazy. They think in the name of diversity and inclusion, the name of dismantling white supremacy, they think it's okay to purposefully lower the percentage of Asians at gifted and talented programs. It, they think in the name of diversity and equity and inclusion for the purposes of dismantling white supremacy, it's okay to discriminate against Asian Americans in universities. And and then later on, they take that mindset over into their industries every fortune 500 company now has a diversity and equity and inclusion component to it, a human resources component to it. And they're taking that ideology with them to Google and to Facebook. Um, and it's, it's, it's wreaking havoc on Asian Americans. And I write about it. Um, I write about the soft, you know, Facebook is 95%. Facebook's, um, Software engineers are ninety to ninety five percent Asian or Asian-American. Could you imagine? But you know why? Because those are the only crop of talent in the United States right now that is talented enough to be a Facebook software product engineer. Um, Mm -hmm. And and yet at every rung of promotion at Facebook and Google, the percentage of Asians decreases. Um, up to senior management where a percentage of Asians is now less than 20% at Facebook and and Google. And Hmm. whatever the explanation for that is, whether it actually is implicit bias against Asians or whether it's simply that Asians aren't communicating and things like that, you, God forbid, you would Hmm. use that cultural explanation of like, oh, Asians are just not good communicators, so they can't be promoted and stuff. God forbid you ever use that cultural explanation for and to explain disparate outcomes of any other racial minority. Mm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the problem with pointing out hypocrisy is that the people who are, who are critiquing or criticizing right now, they don't care a whit about consistency or hypocrisy or even reason and rationality or consistency. They care about winning. They care about implementing a certain worldview, and it doesn't matter the means whatsoever. It doesn't matter who gets thrown under the bus or put mm-hmm. on the chopping block, as long as the project is going forward. That woke right. dominion is, is proceeding according to their moral <laughs> impetus. Sorry to use that word again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, your book is coming out in July. What
0: other things are you doing that people can access? So you can buy my book, pre-order my book, An Inconvenient Minority, July 13th, and it touches on all these issues that Ben and I have talked about, Um, the preservation of meritocracy, um, the role of Harvard and prestige gatekeepers um, in the elimination of meritocracy in our culture and diversity and inclusion, um, you can pre-order An Inconvenient Minority on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, everything like that. Um, you, you can follow me and you can uh, listen to my podcast, The Inconvenient Minority Podcast, where I talk about all of these issues on race, identity, and culture, not just about Asian Americans. Um, I had on James Lindsay um, to talk about China. So, interestingly enough, I had um, Chris Rufo talking about critical race theory. Um, and then hopefully I'll have you on at some point, Ben. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, um, delighted. and then, but yeah, Inconvenient Minority Podcast, you can find it wherever podcasts are found. Um, so, uh, I'll link the book it, and great.
1: the podcast and your Twitter handle, of course, down in there in the description.
0: Absolutely. The socials, always the socials.
1: Yep. Yep. Well, not Facebook. I, I'm, I'm just ignoring Facebook's reality. I'm only there for family purposes at this point, but. <laughs> Screw Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Kenny, for joining me. Absolutely, Ben, you too. And congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.